Hello and welcome back to Tailoring Talk. Just before we get into episode 13, I just want to make a quick apology. We had some technical issues, partly down to trying Zoom's audio record feature, which I will never, ever do again. But this episode is so good and there's so much value in the next hour and a bit with my guest. And so I've spent the last two weeks working really hard to slice, dice and clean up the audio as best I can. There are a couple little kinks here and there, but please forgive me. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Evan Herman, realtor, entrepreneur and presenter of the hugely successful Whole Person podcast. Enjoy. Episode 13 of Tailoring Talk with me, Roberto Rivilla. Thank you so much once again for joining me. 13 might be unlucky for some, but not for me, as this week I'm joined all the way from Oklahoma by the host of the Whole Person Podcast. The Whole Person Podcast is about an entrepreneur's journey to becoming a whole person and living a life of significance in the areas of life that matter the most faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. Over the course of the last two years, he has had incredible conversations with some amazing guests, and I'm so grateful that he joins me today. Evan Herman, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I might sound a little bit low today just because I had my second COVID jab yesterday. Um, So it's not been as bad as the first one where I... I was just out for a couple of days. It just kind of knocked me for six. That's a cricket terminology, by the way. So that I guess it would be like, I don't know, for baseball, you'd say hitting a home run. Is well, hitting a home run is a good thing. Exactly. And, and, and knocking a ball for six in cricket is a good thing. It's kind of like a home run. It's just when you when you hit the ball outside the boundary without it bouncing, you get six runs. Where a home run... Like you can just hit the thing and it goes out the boundary, right? And you can run the whole way around and you score a point. Right. Okay. But it's known as a good thing. Um, but we sometimes use that good thing as a bad thing. So knocking so knocking me for six or knocking me for a home run means it's it's literally like the bat connected with my head and I got knocked out the stadium. Gotcha. Well, in baseball <laughs> technology, knocking it out of the park is only good. We don't use it for bad slang yeah um so yeah in this context basically you don't feel like a whole person after this thing's hit you um but i'm not (laughs) but i'm not too bad this time around it it was just literally i woke up just really achy and and just feeling a bit kind of under the weather and it's not helping that we've had um like over a week of really hot like vacation weather over here and um today it's non-stop rain so how how hot is it where you get? Uh, so we've been oh, <laughs> so you've got a real cheeky smile on your face, which means that I'm going to say something, and you're going to say that's like freezing cold over where you are. Um, so it has been uh, kind of round about uh, the hottest we've had. It has been about 28 degrees, which is about 85, 86, I think, in American money. That's funny because we're we're at a hundred degrees with humidity. 
Oh my god. I remember having selling days out in New York at end of June, beginning of July, where it's was like a hundred degrees and, and humid and literally you just step out the door onto the sidewalk and you're dripping in sweat. Yep. Um yeah. I remember the first time I was in America and uh you know we we see a lot of things in movies over here um and i guess a lot of them are cliched as i found out when i saw steam rising up out of one of the manhole vents on the sidewalk i was like oh my god that's like in the movies and so i skipped over it really slowly to kind of let the steam sort of and i was like i'm gonna get a real intake of air from real new york here from the big apple and it stuck oh my god yeah like i i almost passed out it was disgusting um so yeah never again i live in oklahoma and <laughs> we are really uh spread out and so we don't have stuff like that but yeah new york is a very uh dirty place yeah extremely um although i love that city um so evan let's get back on track um the whole person <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the whole person podcast um is fantastic really it's one of my must listens every single week and you just have such a a variety of amazing guests on um so we might take it offline and I'll find out how you managed to get a hold of all these incredible people. But I mean, you've had amazing guests like early on people like uh, Lee Cockrell, who's the VP of Disney World Resorts, talking about customer service. Um, Tim Davies, the ultra marathon athlete. Um, and then you've had some best selling authors as well, because like I've kind of sometimes I, I haven't listened to all of your episodes in order because I kind of scroll down and I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. And for what I'm kind of going through in my life at this very point in time, that looks like something that could help me. And so the a few weeks ago, I was uh, there was one on uh, how to live your life with less and how to be more efficient and so on. I was like, that looks really cool because I'm trying to declutter my life at the moment. And it's Greg McKeown, who's the best-selling author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. I have that book on my shelf right in front of me. And then another one, David Allen, How to Get Things Done, and another awesome best-selling author. Um, two years in, how, how has this journey been for you so far? Well, it's crazy because those were some of my very first guests when I didn't have any credibility whatsoever. And so that's that's what really blew my mind. And as I've gained more notoriety in our space, what's funny is I've also, I don't want to say transitioned, but I've also included a, a lot more unknown names in the podcast as well, just because it's easier to, to connect. Uh, but... If anyone wants to listen to the podcast and become a, you know, not just a one and done listener, but wants to be a part of the whole person, I highly suggest starting from the very beginning and just moving all the way through. It'll take time, but the unique thing about the show is because it's it's not just a one off, even though it feels like that, because what happens is you get to see me grow and develop as a person and how I take what advice and feedback that these people are giving and apply it to my life. And then you get to experience my journey of life over the past two years 
And then that becomes really relatable to the listeners. And that's what I'm finding out is that it, in a way, by being vulnerable about my failures and some of my successes, it helps people in their own journey as well. And so uh, for me overall, it has been probably one of the greatest blessings other than like, you know, children, wife, marriage, salvation, stuff like that, that I've ever chose to undertake. And I did not believe in myself when I first started. I didn't think I was worthy or I had enough uh, to offer people, but I wanted to learn and grow. And I just decided, you know what, if I bring people on who know more than me and I'm open and vulnerable, maybe people will listen to that. And it's been a huge success uh, and I'm extremely grateful for that. And so I say all that to say, when I look at it, I look at it more as a way that I've gotten some of the top world-class coaching around the world for, well, I shouldn't say for free because I'm paying for editings and stuff like that. But <laughs> in reality, like, I mean, to pay some of these people for an hour of their time to come speak at a seminar would be ridiculous. More money than I, I make in, in a year. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Kind of the same for me, not with my podcast, because I'm now only, well, 13 episodes and two bonus episodes in by the time this one goes out. But um, certainly in my day job, I get to work with a lot of senior professionals, company leaders, and so on. And I get to spend anywhere from half an hour to an hour with them. And I try my best as much as I can to try and you know, obviously I'm there to deal with clothes and to make their life easier and to save them some time. And most often they don't have time to talk to me about anything else. But if I, if I can just create that little bit of space to get some wisdom from them, because you, you can't buy that anywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, they they I mean, these people are getting attacked for 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 their time all the time, and and there I am often in in their homes and their offices, and uh, so it's the perfect opportunity to to get as much um, wisdom as I can in in a short space of time. And, and but I can podcast. see, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the next thing, um, and and that was always the attention intention. I mean, I had a couple clients who have been on the podcast. Uh, one was an uh, sorry what was he still is is an orthodontist um, and that was just a fascinating conversation because people are like why would I want to listen to someone who just puts braces in people's mouths all the time and uh, you know he he talked about his passion something that he became passionate about or he became passionate about the result of that job and career and then kind of made it his mission to basically do everything it took to then become that so that he could help other people. Um, and uh, another client of mine that was on, he's uh, started off as a stand-up comedian. He's now one of our preeminent um, Asian, British um, uh, comedians, writers, actors, now an author as well, just released his first book recently. And um, I'm hoping that in... 200 odd episodes time i i have the same kind of big smile on my face as you have and i'm able to share the same sorts of stories as well because it is a journey yeah and i i've heard that it's, so i'm i'm do you know what i'm gonna go back to the start of the whole person i'm gonna go from the beginning rather than skipping around um but in my skipping around 
it I have picked up on the fact that I'm not I'm listening to Evan at different stages. Yep. And I'm moving my hand up and down. You listeners can't see what I'm doing, but what I'm trying to illustrate it's the sad violin movement. It's the sad violin movement. Sorry, no. Well, the sad violin. We do this one, which is the just the two feet, your index and your thumb together, which is my tiny. Let me just get my tiny violin for you. <laughs> um, it's uh, but it but it's it's you're at, you're at different stages of your journey when I've been listening to you, but it's been because you're so genuine in the way that you talk and deliver and present it's easy to pick up on that for someone who listens to you often um and so i can't recommend your your show enough how how did you come up with those areas of significance because faith family finances friendship fitness fun might be obvious you know people are probably shouting at their iPhones or whatever right now at me like you idiot isn't it obvious that those are the most important bits of life but it's not always obvious because very often we take life for granted and we lose track of a lot of those things so how did you kind of get to those six f's so to start with I went to a university called Oral Roberts University here in Oklahoma I'm a Kansas boy by birth I am an Okie by choice Oklahoman <laughs> and the university that I went to, it was a Christian university, but they have this concept called the whole person and it's spirit, mind, and body. They want to encourage you in your spirit, mind, and body. And I really took that for granted in the education of that for granted while I was going through the university. And then I got into the real world and it just it smacked me in the teeth. It was hard. It was difficult. I wasn't successful. It, there was a lot of pain, hurt, anxiety, uh, marital issues, you know, lack of money. I mean, just everything, you know, tons of people that I know, friends, family dying around me. And it, my life is not what I expected. And after years of hurt and pain, I just realized like I need to develop this whole person. And so then I really started thinking about, well, what is the whole person? And I want to say it came from uh, a number of different people. You know, there's uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Flynn who wrote an article back in 2013. I, he called it like the bridges of success, but it's the same thing. I have a friend who he has a ministry and he carries the cross around the world. And those are his principles. There was another place, uh, a, a guy by the name of Clay Clark, who had these as principles, um, you know, and so the, I did not originate this myself. I heard it from multiple sources and it just, you know, it was ingrained into me subconsciously. And then when I was looking for an answer, the subconscious answered, which was really cool. And so then I started realizing, like, these are the areas of life, faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. If any one of these are out of balance or out of whack, it affects every other area of that life. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I live with the intentionality to live a well-balanced, I don't want to say balanced, but a whole life because there's no such thing as real balance. And I also want to say this, there are times in life. So do you know who Mark Cuban is? No. Uh, he owns the Dallas Mavericks. He's on Shark Tank here in America. Okay. 
Mark Cuban owns the Dallas Mavericks basketball team. He he's a big he's really famous here in America as an entrepreneur. He's on Shark Tank, and you know I got to interview him once for five minutes. And one of the things I asked him is, how does he live a balanced life? And he said it's because he learned how to live out of balance with intentionality for a long period of time so that he could create the life that he had. And it was a really unique concept because here I am Mm. wanting to learn how to live a life of wholeness. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's also nothing wrong with intentionally realizing you have to live out of balance sometimes. So like right now, I'm I'm a little bit out of balance in my in my health journey tensionally where I'm focusing more effort and energy in that area than I am other areas of my life. But I also know that by giving that more tensionality right now, it's going to make everything else better. And so there's these times where there's this give and take, but overall, you don't want to be so far out of balance in a negative way that it affects every other area. But if you can hyper-focus on an area that will have a good effect on other areas, then I'm all for that. And so that is one of the biggest things that I've been learning through this. And there's several other lessons I've learned that we'll probably get into here in a little bit. I'm I'm just trying to figure out where I'm at because I'm I just feel constantly unbalanced and it doesn't matter what I do if I you know like right now I'm really trying to work us on getting back in shape and health and cycle training and so on um, which helps mentally with my mental state helps me to cope with a lot Um, but then the time I have to dedicate to that I feel is then being taken away from things like my family because I'm you know, off on a Saturday morning, Sunday morning for two, three hours, working on my own health. When you spend time doing that, do you feel guilty afterwards yeah. for, yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I, at the same time, I've learned to keep telling myself that if I don't look after myself, um, I mentioned this on the pod, on, on a previous episode I recorded that's in edit right now, and I couldn't remember where... I learned this from, but I think it might have been from you or from one of your guests. But um, when you when you board a plane and they do the safety briefing, they tell you to fit your own mask before you help anyone else. Because if you don't fit your own mask, you're going to be passed out. You're not going to be any good to anyone. And I keep reminding myself of that. So when I head out at six in the morning on a Saturday to go cycle train for three or four hours, and I know that I'm going to miss breakfast with my wife for that one day a week, I then immediately try to remember to remind myself that what I'm doing is I'm fitting my own safety mask on. Because if I let myself deteriorate, and it's not just about the body, exercise for me is about helping to, to maintain my mind as well then I'm going to be no good to her and I'm going to be no good to my family. Well, and then there's the other part where you have to give yourself grace. So right now, you know, when I work out on average, I typically will work out around eight to 10 uh, in the morning, but then I feel guilty because, okay, now I've taken time for my work day. And so either I feel guilty for not working hard or long enough, even though, you know, I work to seven or eight at night or, I will feel guilty for skipping working out. So either way, I feel guilty and that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in this process of trying to wake up like at 3.50 in the morning and go spend a few hours working out. 
you're like, Evan, how are you, how are you doing that? Like, I'm trying to rearrange my sleeping pattern to go to bed early so I can still get a full, full-time sleep, but yet wake up early. And my father-in-law, he had a stroke a few days ago. And so my rhythm has kind of been off kilter. And since I'm going to bed a little bit later at night, I've tried waking up and I haven't, but then I've also given myself grace. Like, you know what? What's more important than working out is how much sleep I get because I can't, yeah. can't have a sustainable, healthy life without sleep. And so, you know, there's trade-offs during the day that I have to make. And sometimes there are trade-offs that I don't want to, but, you know, sleep is more important than trying to go work out. And so my advice is don't feel guilty and learn how to give yourself grace in those moments, because that, that will give you the freedom and love for yourself to make the changes you need to make. Because as long as you're trying to make changes, but you feel guilty for doing it, you're not going to make them. Yeah. It's it, guilt comes in all over. By the way, how's your father-in-law doing? Ah, better. Yeah. He's doing, he's doing better. So we're, we're, we're grateful. I don't know if there's going to be any lasting effects or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, on a scale from one to 10, well, well, let me just say this. He's lucky. He's very, very lucky. Yeah. My dad had a stroke a couple of years back and we were, um, what's the word estranged for, for a number of, for quite some time over a decade. And, uh, to suddenly get a call from my mum out of the blue and she left a voicemail cause I didn't pick it up at first. But I just knew that after 12, 13 years, it was something bad. And, uh, you know, he he had a stroke. He was rushed to hospital. Um, and, yeah, I, I just remember afterwards that he had always been the sort of person that never really shared his emotions or talked about how he felt. He kept everything locked up inside. He was very, very proud. Um, and that hasn't changed. So <laughs> you'd have thought after a life-changing event like that, that might have just softened him up a little bit. Um, but I, I, I know from my mum telling me that he feels very vulnerable and depressed, and and apparently these are all na- natural kind of um, emotions that people feel after they go through an event like that, because suddenly your your mortality is brought into sharp focus. Um, so I, I just hope your father-in-law, you know, I, firstly, I hope physically there's no lasting damage or, or, or effects. But the other thing too is he, he is severely unhealthy. Um, there's so many underlining issues that, I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> there's so many more things. So, but we can yeah. move past, yeah. past that. Well, I wish him the best anyway. Um, so, so yeah, but this, this theme of guilt seems to run through everything because even things that maybe we shouldn't feel guilty about, like, um, so during, so COVID happened, it's happening and my business got shut down and the first few weeks, my listeners are going to be sick of me telling this story, but the first few weeks, couple months, I, I, I literally had my head up my backside because I'd never, and I'm not that sort of person. I'm the sort of person that when 
you know, business takes a dip or bad things happen. Like when the 2008 crash happened, um, I just kept going like it, like it wasn't a thing. Right. But this was different. And I know that's the same for many people, but you know, I had my head up my ass for like two months and and then eventually, uh, I think it took a couple clients who called me and said, look, you know, is there a way that we can do some business together? Because uh, number one, I need to get some stuff. But number two, um, having only just found you, if you go out of business, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't want to have to go and find another tailor. Um, and I realized that people actually need me. But work was very hard to find, particularly over the summer. Um, and it got better as, and better as time has gone on. But, but I, I had to work out how, I need, how, how could I bring some money in because I couldn't just sit there. And I had a, a scooter and um, uh, people like Deliveroo and Uber Eats and so on were hiring. And I just thought, what the hell? Let me just try and get a job and just go do that. So if at the very least I can earn enough to maybe cover some of the, like the gas bill, the electricity bill, maybe to cover some of the grocery shopping every week, at least I'm, at least that's helping rather than just doing completely nothing. Um, and so, so that's what, what I went out and did. Um, and even though, and, and obviously that job, you know, food delivery, you're doing it at the times of day that people want to eat, right? So you're doing it first thing in the morning, you're doing it at lunch times, and then you're doing it in the evenings. And then you would have that dead time in between um, because there was no point going out because people weren't ordering at all. Um, but what it meant in terms of home life is that I would leave early and then I would come back for a couple of hours and I would walk the dogs and try and spend a little bit of time with my wife and then I go again for the lunch rush and then I come back and then I do another couple of hours at home and then I would have to go again from like 5 p.m. till sometimes midnight. You'd be surprised at what time of the evening people will order takeout. It's crazy. Um, I love that story. Tell me. You weren't proud to keep yourself from working. You humbled yourself and you did things that a lot of people might think might be uh, beneath them to make life and sustaining your, your family. And I say kudos to that because we can never be, if we're proud, if we're overly proud and we can't humble ourselves to do the things that need to be done, then we're not going to have success because great men and women do the things they don't want to do when they don't want to do them. Yeah, 100%. And that's something that I learned in business early on as well. Um, and it, you know, it was such a mix of emotions because it's, it's Caroline has just walked in. Um, Evan says hi. <laughs> um, but it, it, it did feel kind of embarrassing and I kind of felt like I'd failed the guilt came in because I, I was going out and especially in the evenings, you know, normally my wife and I, we, we like to have dinner together and then we'll sit and together and we'll watch a show and stuff. And I wasn't able to do that with her because I had to go out. 
to earn money, but I felt guilty about it every minute, every second that I was out. You want to know what you'd have felt more guilty for? Staying at home and losing your house. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. But but that's the thing. This theme of guilt seems to just creep in no matter what we do. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Tell me what it is. Okay, I... I, I I personally am a Christian and whether you believe in Christianity or not, there, there are spiritual forces in the universe. And I think a lot of people can agree to that. There's different spiritual dimensions. I mean, even TV and shows and stuff depict different dimensions and yeah. they're not different worlds, but they're, they're spiritual dimensions. Well, the thing is, is we have an enemy. Some call him Satan, some call him other things, but we'll just call him the accuser, okay? The accuser focuses on condemnation. Condemnation is what drives a wedge in between you and the creator. It makes you feel guilty. It makes you feel unworthy. And if you don't feel good enough about yourself and where you are in your life, it makes it harder to get to know the creator. The difference is there's... There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is, oh, I screwed up. I feel remorse. I feel sorry. And that draws you closer to become more like the creator, more like love, more like peace. That's conviction. Conviction woos you back to God. When condemnation is an attack from an enemy that tries to think that it is on you and it's your self-righteousness that produces fruitfulness. But self-righteousness does not produce fruitfulness, being like the creator does. And so when condemnation and guilt come in, that's from an enemy. True change comes from being like God. And so when we when we do something wrong and we're convicted and we feel remorse and we feel closer to God and we feel learned, that's different because we're not operating in our own ability. We're operating in grace, love, forgiveness, change and growth. But when we operate in condemnation, we operate in self-righteousness, we operate in separation, we operate in our own ability and skill. And that's where we feel guilty. That's where we feel condemned. That's where we feel unworthy. And so many times we fall into that trap. And I'm the chief of those people that fall in trap. Yeah. Um, I remember you've talked about it on, on, I think it was the essentialism episode. Um, You talked about that with Greg. Um, you you remember when we were talking about essentialism and kind of, <clears throat> um, and that really really struck a chord with me. Um, obviously I need to go back and listen to that episode again. <laughs> um, but I, how how do you kind of visualize giving, creating time, space, and so on? Is it as simple as you get a planner out and you just kind of block your time off for different things, or um, do you know what I mean? Like, where do you start? So I think there's several things. Um, I'll show you. For those of you who can't see, I'll describe what the paper I'm holding up. So basically, the this top right here, okay, I have my core yeah. values and principles of which I make decision by. I have six of them. Mm-hmm. Self-awareness, prosperity, um, learning, impact. impact, energy, and integrity. And so when I make decisions, I make decisions based around these things. 
So for my for my spiritual life, for my devotional life, what I what I want to do every day, and do I do it every day? No. But in an ideal world, you know, I spend time prayer, reading, meditation, workout, take my vitamins, print the sheet for the next day, journal, look at my calendar, and then I also check my bank accounts. Checking your bank account every day is a good habit, just in general. That's what I do. Drives my wife nuts. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. And and because I learned from someone years ago who wasn't checking their bank accounts and found out that someone is, was embezzling millions of dollars from them and they went bankrupt and they had to start all over. Even though no one has access to my account but my wife and I, I've just developed a habit and it saved me from getting overdrafts. It saved me from, you know, because I have money in other accounts, but if one yeah. account too too small, it, it just helps me know what's going on. You know, yeah. I have... I have the things I need to do for my real estate. I have the things I need to do for my podcast. And it's a very long list. And ideally, I'd like to get these things done in a day. But the reality is I won't. And so what I do is I time block with my calendar where, okay, I'm going to do these things at this time. And then you follow through with those. Now, that's the hardest thing is follow through. And I'm not perfect at that. I was just talking to a friend yesterday. I was like, hey, I really suck in this area and I need to get better. And so what him and I decided I'm going to do is I'll be a guest on other people's show, but I'm going to stop recording for a month or, or so till I can get a better grip on my life. Now, my podcast is still going to go on because I have like six months of inventory to still roll out on the podcast. So that's not going to disrupt <laughs> my life. And that was built that way intentionally. And so right now, you know, I talked about hyper-focusing and being out of balance. I'm going to be out of balance and like, okay, how can I get better at scheduling and follow through? And so it's basically saying at this time, at this location, I'm going to do this thing and then just doing it and then not feeling guilty for, for it. And even if you miss yeah. it, can you move it? Can you do something else? Cause I mean, life happens, you know, when, when my father-in-law had his stroke a few days ago, I mean, that, that moved a lot of our calendar stuff around and we just have, you have to be okay with it. And here's the thing. I think if we can hit our, our goal, like, 70, 80% of the time, that's a really good achievement. I think we strive for perfection so many times. But if I can nail my calendar 80% of the day, that's a win. That's uh, exactly the wife, uh, the wife, exactly the advice that I give to wedding couples because they freak out over just everything. And they're obsessive about everything being absolutely perfect on the day. And I started saying saying to them, look, you know, using my own experience of my own wedding, things are going to go wrong. You're not going to get everything right. So if you just apply the 80-20 rule, if you can get to 80%, then you've done so well. But if you go for 100, you're going to lose sight of just the little things through the process that add to the memories that you will one day keep. Um, and then I started to just slowly apply that to things in my own life as well. So again, you know, like you, um, I do use my planner, probably not as well as you do. Um, but I'm, I like to think I'm getting better at it. It's a work in progress. Um, and I will think about the long list of things that I have to do every single day. And I accept that I'm never, ever going to be able to tick all those things off. So I then prioritize and I make sure that I, I, I prioritize and I commit to getting those things done and seeing them through. 
and everything else. If I have time for them, then yeah, I'll make a start on them or whatever. But if I don't, they'll just have to wait for the next day. And if, and and if if an event happens, like last week when I got attacked or whatever, um, and my day's just kind of thrown up in the air, then I I just have to learn to be okay with it. And that's the bit that I'm really working hard on right now. Um, it's it's I don't do well with because I like to structure things. I like to be organized. That's why I give such great customer service. When the unexpected happens, I don't do well with blowing off commitments that I've already made because an extraordinary event has occurred. One of one of my more recent failures, I feel like, is I've missed a few podcasts where I'm supposed to be the host and the guest. And it's because I've overwhelmed myself and I haven't created better structure on my calendar, which is one reason why I'm pausing being a, a host so I can figure that out. And it's creating, so like right now, what I've been doing is, you know, if you want to be a guest on my podcast, what, what I do is, you know, I, I record two or three times a week and then I'll pick a, you know, based off of their schedule and my schedule, we'll find a date and time. Well, I'm constantly in this mode of having to plan and prepare and like not getting to do other things. And so as I was talking to my producer yesterday, he's like, dude, let's just change this. Let's have you spend two days a month recording two afternoons where you record three shows. So you're recording six episodes a month. He goes, and then, you know, for the morning you prep and then the afternoon you record. And then you're only spending two days instead of, you know, trying to look at the calendar, trying to remember what's coming up, trying to, yeah, just time block these so that you can be more effective in that. And that's like, oh, that's so good. Now, obviously, if I got, you know, another high-end guest, I, I have to be more cognizant of their time frame than my time frame. But with people who aren't as notable in their status, when I have them on, you know, I'm at the point where people can arrange their schedule around me because I've done this enough uh, when they want to be a guest on my show. If they're inviting themselves onto my show, then I need to make it convenient to me, not to them. And yeah. I've been trying to make it to convenient to everyone else versus me. And yeah. pardon me, because I'm, I'm nice, but then the other part is like, that's a bad business move because I'm allowing, because really to do a podcast, it's, it's an interruption in flow. Even though it's a part of my business model, I didn't create flow. And so let's look at it this way. McDonald's is a great um, perspective. You look at Mac and Dick McDonald, who created McDonald's. They went from a very unorganized, very chaotic drive up, not through, drive up restaurant. And they laid off their car hop girls. They dismantled their business and they basically created an assembly line for food. And now we see that in Chick-fil-A. We see that in Taco Bell, Burger King. All these major fast food organizations got the model from the McDonald's brothers. How can we do that with our calendar? How can we do that with our business meetings? You know, okay, so if I have to meet, if I have to go on a, a let's say several appointments that are outside of real estate, but like other types of appointments, well, how can I make them happen all in the same day in the same location or close to the same location. You know, time block like that so that it's easier yeah. versus chaotic and sporadic. Now within real estate, 
that's completely different. I don't have much control over that because it's really based off of which house comes on the market, my client's availability. And since the market is so crazy, you just got to go now. And so in real estate, you know, if I have a real estate matter come up, I have to drop everything I'm doing to go take care of that because that's what it requires of me. And I have to be okay with that as well. So hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, no, it 100% does. Um, The other thing I really love is that um, when we were trying to reschedule, because there were a couple of times that obviously I couldn't make it because unexpected things happened. And I think once we had a time zone issue, um, when I was trying to get back into your calendar, you just sent me a cal- You You were just like, yeah, hey, no problem. We can reschedule, which is really friendly and the soft way of kind of saying no problem. And um, But then you just said, here's my online link. Go book yourself in. And so we've, <laughs> we, we're doing the same. <laughs> we're doing the same in our business because <laughs> what I've learned is that when you um when you're having a conversation with someone about scheduling they will obviously their time is more important than yours in most of those conversations and so what but then what will happen because I'm a very accommodating person I will then say yes to something that I shouldn't I know in the moment I shouldn't be saying yes to because it's just going to heap more pressure on myself. But then I say yes to it. And then because, you know, the accuser's standing around and it's the whole guilt thing as well. Um, But yeah, and so it just puts undue pressure on me. So by moving to the online system, now what we're saying when people ring in and they're demanding time of me, whether it's someone who wants clothes or needs a fitting or needs this, needs that, wants to be a podcast guest, um, I just have the link to the calendar and I just flip it back to them. And I just say, hey, no problem. We've got a new online booking system. Just click the link. It's really easy to use. That's it. Because I will make concessions and my emotions come into play with every interaction with every person that I talk to. But the system doesn't have any emotion. The system basically, it goes to my calendar. It tries to find the blank gaps and if there aren't any blank gaps for a couple of weeks, it's like, well, I mean, this is what I can give you. It's not, you know, it's not going to get into a conversation or a debate with anyone about it. Well, can you do this? Can you not squeeze me in here? Um, and that certainly we've been running that for the last fortnight. And that is really starting to help that it's starting to feel like a weight's just lifted off my shoulders. Well, good. And, you know, you and I are looking at this. Because because what I'm doing in the podcasting, I'm doing the exact same thing. Like you said, I'm changing that because it's actually not good for me. But for you, I see how it's working. The reason why I need to change it is because I've given people access to put themselves anywhere in my calendar if there's not something already there. But in reality, I should be time blocking and recording. And so I need to change my system on how I'm doing it. But no, with the way you described it, that's perfect for you. Um, and and keep keep going at it because that's a that's a good idea. But it's a journey, isn't it? Because like that's working for me now, but it's a progress. It's um, it's a journey, right? So it's working for me now. But once I've got a handle on that, the next step. So I feel like I'm kind of if we're on a curve, I'm behind you. Like, I'm probably a lap or two behind you. 
So the next step for me is going to become time blocking because as the podcast grows at the same time, I've got to be mindful that my business is starting to come back as well. And the time demands of my business are huge. And when I, if I have to pit one against the other, obviously my business is my income. It's what pays the mortgage. It's what keeps my family fed and clothed and so on. That's always going to take priority. Um, but then at the same time, the podcast is starting to add value to my business. I went to see a client who uh, who works for Apple. I hadn't seen him for five years. You don't know in business, and I guess it's the same in real estate as well, you don't know quite how your clients are going to stay engaged with you. For some of them, they just like to wait for your phone call every six months or whatever the time frame is. For some of them, they're constantly engaged because they'll you have a relationship where you might you might support the same sports team. So I can think of a couple of my clients in particular straight away who we talk to each other pretty much every other day about our team. So I'm constantly engaged with them. And then you have other people who... Uh, are engaged via the e-newsletter that I send out every week and they won't say anything they won't respond but they'll keep looking 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 and maybe six months maybe nine months maybe two years down the line they're engaged enough they will come to me when they need me this customer five years I hadn't seen him heard from him or anything left a ton of voice messages and uh, I, I got called up to see him and he placed a really nice order. We were incredibly grateful and appreciative. And as I walked out the door, I just said to him, I said, "How? what's been your favorite way to kind of stay engaged and keep me top of mind over the last few years? Uh, and he said, to be honest, not really anything, um, but more recently, the podcast. And to be honest, if it was just that one appointment, that one meeting that was the result of the last 12 episodes I've done, it was totally worth it. So I really want to keep this going. Um, but the challenge is kind of balancing that. And again, I'm quite early behind you in the curve. You're 200 episodes in and, you know, becoming well, more and more. Like, I'm probably like 130, somewhere around there. Oh, 130. Okay, that makes me feel better. I haven't got that much catching up to do. <laughs> but, but how... Yeah, <laughs> but how you've probably already touched on this, but um, how are you then weighing up and balancing the business versus the podcast? Very poorly. <laughs> no, so here's my problem I love podcasting, so it's so much easier for me to want to do that than work, and that's been a part of my problem too especially since I've given people free access to whatever fits their schedule, they book a time and then I'll just make things work around it. I've realized, no, I need to put more focus and energy on also real estate than podcasts. And I do that by time blocking podcasting instead of just giving people free reign to, to pick and choose based off of, because the thing is, is I try to keep my calendar clear so people could choose time slots but then I realized I was doing that at my own demise. And so before that, so it's an evolution process. So before I gave people a calendar link, 
the way that I'd set it up, either my assistant would set it up or in communication with the person I would set it up. And then I'd go to the calendar. We would have two or three emails back and forth. We'd pick a date, then we'd set it up. And then that would be that, which was probably a better model than the one I went to, which was just give you my calendar link, let you do it. Because what ended up happening is I just got tired. I got lazy of having to have those four or five email conversations just to figure out a date. So I was like, okay, I'll just streamline this. And even though I streamlined it, it made it actually worse for me because then I also started forgetting because I'm not the one booking. If I book it, it stays in my memory a lot more than realizing, oh, here's, here's something that popped up on my computer calendar and I wasn't aware of it because I didn't have that conversation, even though I gave someone access to it. And so that, that was part of my realizing, okay, I'm forgetting because I'm not personally booking these. And so how can I not forget these? Well, if I block them together and I have a specific time. So that's the route I'm going. Now, in terms of real estate and time blocking, I need to figure out what's the thing that I need to do that propels me forward. And it's often lead generating. And that's the thing I don't like to do, but I'm probably really, well, I know I'm really, really good at it. And so I just need to do that first. That needs to be one of the first things I do just to get it done. That way it doesn't feel like it's over, over my head. And heck, you know, as soon as you do that, you feel good, you know? And so what I'm learning or have learned and have applied throughout my career is that the things that I don't want to do, I need to do them when I don't want to do them. Because that's what, like, that's what helps create success and discipline. Great men do the things they don't yeah. want to do. They don't want to do them. And it's funny because I look at people in my life who are really struggling in business and where I might be a little bit further along than they are. Um, and I'm totally judgmental. I, you know, <laughs> I really am sometimes. I'd be like, <laughs> dude, all you need to do is this, 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 and this, and you would have a good business. Stop being a clown and get your crap together. Now, I might have my stuff more together than they do right now, but I still have a long way to go. And then I realized, like, why is it that I can look at someone else's business and say, this is what they need to do. But when I look at myself and my business, I have a hard time doing it and seeing yeah. what I need to do. It's because I'm in it. It's because I have feelings and emotions and my own conflicts and my own inner turmoil that I'm dealing with. But it's far easier to look on the outside. So how do I... How do I remove my feelings? How do I remove my emotions? How do I remove all that and go to that mindset of looking at someone else's business and do that same concept in my own business? And that's what I'm also working on is how to take my emotion and my will, not my will, excuse me, my my emotion and my feelings out of how things make me feel during the day and be like, all right, this is what I need to do. And this is what's going to make me successful and just do it. And like no excuses. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then just being consistent at it. That's the biggest thing. And I I want to say this too. (laughs) You're like, man, this guy's not that great. He's not consistent in his own business. Um, You know. (laughs) We're all like that. I'm the same. Well, and, and here's what's crazy is like we, there's this thing called the Jahari's window. And, and there's this box in our world of things that other people see and perceive about us that we don't. And I was talking like, I'm starting a ministry as well. So I have a lot of projects going on 
And the majority of people that when I've talked about like raising funds, like, well, it's about time you started this. Like, how come you haven't done this sooner? I was like, oh. (laughs) And then the other part too was, you know, something uh, a gentleman said to me, he goes, Evan, he goes, I'm just so excited for you. He goes, you're the most consistent person I know. And I'm thinking to myself, really? You think I'm consistent? Thank you. Um, why do you think that? <laughs> Cause I don't know why. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Evan, you've been in, you've been in real estate eight years because you have your broker's license. And I only lasted in real estate like a year or two. And then what I realized is like, you're right. The majority, like 95% of people fail within like two years. Okay. So yeah, I guess I have been consistent, even though I don't feel like it. I guess I have published around 130 episodes of podcasts and I've maybe only missed a week or two. Like legitimately, I might've missed one or two weeks just because of an editing issue. So yeah, I've been extremely consistent in podcasting. Then I realized like, wait a second, I am showing up. But just going back to like the calendar issue, there's this part in our business and part in the calendar where, you know, to give the extra effort of having to book people, I didn't like that. And so I tried to make it easier by just giving you the link to go do it. But it threw a wrench in everything else that I was doing. And that's not your fault. That's not the other people's fault. That's my fault because I didn't recognize it. So now I have to change that. And sometimes we try to do things the easy way or we try to wing things and not fully plan and prepare. And that's what I'm realizing most in my career is that when I plan and prepare, I do far better and show up better than when I'm trying to wing things. And so I've had this good balance of planning and winging. I shouldn't say good balance because you don't ever want to just try to wing stuff. Uh, (laughs) But what I've realized is like, okay, I just need to get better at planning, preparing, and execution. Like that's, that's my demise right now. I'm consistent at showing up. I'm consistent at doing work, but it's like I wing it every day when I get in. So how do I not wing it? How do I show up planned, prepared, and use that consistency that I'm good at? And then all that together will make for higher results. And like I said, you know, I started this list, you know, two-ish years ago and it's, it's really, you know, there's a lot of theories on don't have to do lists because you'll just mark off the thing that's easiest and it makes you feel good. And then you don't really get results. That's true. But with this to do list, like I write down everything that, I mean, from, from reading books to changing light bulbs is on this list, you know, And the reason why it's on there is because I don't want to have to think about, oh man, I need to change that light bulb later. Oh man, I have to like, by writing everything down that I have to do, it gets it out of my mind. And I know it's on my agenda. Even if I don't have a specific time that I'm going to do it yet, I know it's on here. That way I don't have to think about having to do it later. And what you're also doing by getting those things out on a piece of paper, you're creating more space within yourself because otherwise if you don't get it out somehow... everything just keeps building up, building up, building up, building up. And even if it's just something stupid and little, like, um, 
you know, your other half says to you, next time you're at the grocery store, may remember to get lemons, right? <laughs> or that light bulb needs fixing. If you've not written it down, it's, yeah, it's just creating more space in, in your brain and it's just driving you absolutely crazy. So step further is now that I've had my list, okay, so now that I have my list, when I plan my following day or I, pl- well, typically I like to plan a week at a time. And then every day I adjust, you know, in looking at that. So then, so for example, like my Saturdays are the days that I do things around my house. Like I fix the light bulb, I fix the leak, I, I mow the yard. I, you know, Saturdays are my work on the home day. And so I know. So Saturday is almost time blocked geographically to use your earlier example around the home. Yep. Because I'm at home. Typically, that's my day off if I don't have any real estate stuff, and and I don't feel guilty for doing it during the week, if that makes sense. You know, I don't feel guilty yeah, for taking totally. time off work to, to do that. So, so I know on that day, and and that's what I do is like I move it from. So it goes on my list, and then when I know Saturday's rolling around, okay, I'm putting that on my salad. Uh, my salad. I'm putting that on my <laughs> Saturday agenda in my calendar. You know. Um, and then also have to write deadlines for stuff. And and that that's the other thing too, you know, and then just following through and the list never goes away. It always, you know, as soon as something gets removed, something replaces it and just realize that that's okay. It's never going to officially be done or gone away with, but it has to be done. Yeah. It keeps you on the straight and narrow as well, because there are so many temptations, especially nowadays when we're working from home a lot more than maybe we used to. Um, There are so many distractions around as well. And I'm, I'm finding that setting up lists every day or the night before, it just keeps me focused the following day and it stops me from being tempted to, um, you know, do things that I shouldn't be doing like watching TV. Like, so the, the theory is that when you see this list of 40 things here, okay, well, I'm just going to go do the easiest things to get things off the list. Like, I get that, but that's not how I operate. I'm like, okay, what has to get done? What, what, what are the major? So for me, like, I need to get a bank account for my new nonprofit. Like, that, that's, a, that's a major thing that I have to get done. Well, before I can get the nonprofit bank account, I have to get my nonprofit certification from the state of Oklahoma. So I have to do that. And then I have to get an EIN number from the IRS. And then I can get the bank account. And so it's like, I create, okay, I have to do this, this, and this to get this. And so I put these things down um, so that I know where I'm at in the process. And so... But for something as critical as that, because you've just said that that is something that is very important that's something you've probably got a date stamp against as well, right? And and the thing with that too is, so once I file with the state of Oklahoma for my nonprofit corporation status, you know, I don't get it back instantly. It takes a day or two. So I filed. Okay, great. I filed. Check that off the list. I'm waiting for it to come back. I had to file three different times because their instructions were so poor that apparently I didn't. So I had to learn through air what they wanted to begin with, which was really frustrating because they wanted like an ink or foundation or corporation Mm -hmm. or something at the end of the name, but they never told you that. 
which was really frustrating. Yeah, so I had to kind of file it three times. It's it's the general. It doesn't matter what country you're in. It's the it's the state standard, basically, um, instruction policy <laughs> or lack of. And so what I did is okay. Okay, so I did that, but it's not complete, so it doesn't come off my list. And so now I don't just wait two days and do nothing. Okay, so what's the next most important thing? Okay, and. I need to write thank you letters. Okay, so now I have thank you letters. Okay, well, now I need to mail them, you know? And so I have a whole bunch of thank you letters. Um, well, before I mail them, I have to get addresses. And so now yesterday was the day I got the addresses. Today, I'm going to write the addresses down and I'm going to send them off. And so what I do is like, because some of the stuff is a lot of, I do this and then I wait for the response. I do this and then I wait for the response. And so many times we can do this, but then wait for the response and do nothing else. And so what I'm saying is I have a list of things that I have to do that require responses. So I'm going to go do those. And then I'm also going to go work on something else. That way I'm using my time yeah. most effectively. I'm just uh, now, yeah, my list is ridiculously big. I have this last podcast that I'm still in the middle of editing that just never seems like it's ever going to get done because it's so enormous. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway sure i'll work it out that's um and how because right now more than ever in your business i guess same as mine you've really really got to hit it right because in real estate you're probably faced with some of the problems to what we have over here that there's a shortage of stock because people are probably putting money they're probably staying put because um so so what they'll do is they'll decide to they'll elect to stay rather than to sell and buy somewhere else and put money into their houses and so on so over here the building trade has just gone through the roof cost of materials has gone up there are shortages of materials and then for our poor guys in real estate they don't have as many houses to sell um so their prospecting task has got even bigger because they have to just do more of it um which i'm guessing is exactly the same for you over there which then creates even more demand on your time because you're having to put, I don't know, 10x, 100x effort to get the same results as maybe you were getting before or maybe even less results. So that all puts pressure on as well. It, it is. And there's two theories that I have here. There's the 10x, like, okay, now I just got to do more to get the same result. I've almost, I'm testing this new strategy out and I don't know how well it's going to work or not. But, and part of it is because I've had to make this pivot. A lot of my past existing business comes from for sale by owners and expired listings. Well, we don't have like expired listings because what does go on market sells. So to get an expired listing, either it's a really bad property or they just don't exist. So for me to spend my energy and effort doing that doesn't make much sense. So I've stopped doing that mm. and then I've refocused my efforts on you know, just communicating with people, talking to people. So I've, I've reinvested in that area of, of my business. And a lot of it's like, all right, well, I can't make things happen. All I can do is just build relationships. So I've just been focusing on building relationships and then hope business comes. And that's not the best strategy, but it's what I know. And so yeah. I'm constantly trying to learn new ways because so right now, for sale by owners, like, I mean, a lot of people, all if, I mean, if you can put your house on the market by yourself and it be like decent, I mean, why, why I mean, I, I get it. Like, why, 
why pay someone? I, I fully understand. I still think you should because it limits risk and typically you will get a better offer by using a real estate agent. Typically I can make someone ten to $15,000 more, but they they try to do a cost analysis benefit differently than me. So, you know, that's yeah. different. So it's learning how to pivot too, because if I'm 10 Xing cold calling, that's not going to get me anywhere because it's yeah. right now it's in uh, it's fruit fruitlessness. So where do I spend that time? And so example, like with this ministry I'm starting, I'm calling everyone I know to tell them I'm starting the ministry, but this is how I go. I was like, Hey, I wanted to give you an update, something that I've added to my life. Now I'm still doing real estate and I have to do real estate because that's how I provide for my family. So if you know of anyone, I mean, please still you know, refer me business. I've also, in addition to continuing to do real estate, I'm starting a ministry. And then I go into why I'm starting the ministry. So I've, so now I've talked about two things instead of one. And that reminds people I'm doing real estate. And that's how I'm going to provide for my family because I'm not going to take money from the ministry, at least this point, as for, um, for work, you know, because it's too early, in my opinion, to, to take it or to, I don't want to say take, but to draw a, a, a salary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so my goal is for that to get built up to the point where it's sustaining itself um, and I don't have to put money into it. And so for me, it's how can I, how can I kill two birds with one stone? How can I do both of these things? And, and so it's learning how to pivot because you're right. Like the real estate market, like if you have a house that sells like hotcakes and it sells for more, than you know asking but the the inventory level is 40 to 60 percent down and the price of goods are crazy high so and that's a side note we're going to see inflation of around 25 percent right now uh, all around i don't know about the rest of the world i'm you know as america goes so probably will the rest of the world in america we're seeing a lot of inflation because we continue to print money and I would highly look at if you have extra money, putting your money in things other than fiat currency, which is paper money. Because if you're holding fiat currency based off of the rate of inflation, your money will become depreciated that much, meaning it's, it's losing 25% of its value. So we have very little in savings and we're putting our stuff in other areas that are going to hopefully hold value. And um, in conjunction with that, you know, the labor force, we're paying people right now to stay home, but yet there's a job yeah. shortage. Or sorry, there's not a job shortage, there's a worker shortage. So people are getting paid as much or more to stay home by the government than to go out and get a job. And that's another issue. If we stop doing that, then we'll have more labor force. And then if we have more labor force, we'll be able to create more product. And creating more product will actually drive the price down versus create a scarcity, which drives the price up. Sorry. That's my tangent on finances. No, no, don't apologize. We, we've got similar problems over here. I mean, you know, we still have the furlough scheme running, which is where the government pays people to stay at home. A lot more people have come off furlough now. And in fact, some big corporations have actually taken people off furlough to get them back to work. And what they have done is they've paid the value of the furlough money the company received. They've paid it back to the government. That hasn't happened with every corporation, but it has happened with some, and kudos to them. Um, 
But then we do have a worker shortage. And I guess part of that is probably because of Brexit, because we left the European Union and we lost a lot of um, EU citizens who decided to go back home. And um, well, I mean, go back home. Sorry, that was that was a really, really um, ignorant thing to say, because this the UK was home for them. Um, but they they didn't feel welcome anymore. So they decided to go back to their places of origin before they originally came to the UK. Um, so I, I apologise for that. Um, so, but then you've got the indigenous population here that are moaning because um, because there's uh, uh, because they they can't get work. But yet there we have um, we have a lot of vacancies that need filling. But I think what it is is that the indigenous population doesn't want to do the job that the non-indigenous population were doing, if that makes sense. Because someone was moaning to me about it recently, and I just looked at them point blank, and I was like, well, I had three jobs last year. And then, what do you mean you had three jobs? And I was like, well, I have my day job, which is my own business as a tailor. But then I was working for Uber, and I was working for Deliveroo. So I was pretty much working 20 hours a day, 24 hours a day some days. Um, oh, but why would you... I mean, you're you're going around fitting people for clothes and stuff. Why would you go and deliver pizzas and deliver fried chicken and things in the evenings? That doesn't make any sense. And I was like, well, you know, when I look back on it, it did a couple of things for me. Number one, it helped to put food on the table and it helped us to cover some of the bills because our income was pretty much non-existent for a while. The second thing it did is it brought me back down to earth and it showed me a different side and it showed me what all those people who most people spit at and look down on, those guys and women who are on bicycles and mopeds and they're running around with these backpacks delivering food to people all the time and they're racing through traffic, putting their lives at risk, sometimes putting other people's lives at risk. Um... But it made me understand things from a completely different point of view, from a different world. And I would like to think that it's made me a stronger person and I hope it's made me a more considerate person as well. I'm not as judgmental um, about other people that I might once have perceived to have been beneath me or less than me because they were doing a job that didn't earn as much as my job does um so you know you might call it demeaning but i and yeah there were some times when it was actually quite demeaning i remember one incident in camden in north london where i was outside a burger joint and um basically i got shouted at by the staff because i all i wanted to know was how long i was going to wait for the order because if you if you wait longer than a couple minutes, you're losing a lot of money. When you're only making twelve pounds an hour to twenty pounds an hour on a good night, um, waiting longer than two minutes, you you may as well just ditch that. Let someone else take it who's coming up behind you and go find another drop to do. Um, you've just got to keep moving. So I just ask a question like, guys, how long is this going to take? And they just literally chewed my head off. I went outside. In that time, my moped was outside and it was all sign written with my company, my company website and what I do. And there were a group of kids who had obviously Googled me 
and they'd seen me on social media and so on. And basically they, they said, Oh, you're a tailor. And I was like, yeah. And they said, but you're doing Deliveroo. And I was like, well, yeah, because my business is closed at the moment. So I have to do something. They spat at me and called me all sorts of things that we try and keep this podcast as clean as possible. So I'm not going to repeat them. I felt the lowest that I'd ever, I called my wife and I told her what had happened. And I said to her, I'm, I'm going to come home. Like I, I shouldn't be doing this job. It's so demeaning. And, and that was just, I don't want to, uh, she told me to come home <laughs> and because she was worried about me. She was worried for my safety. Um, and then I kind of got halfway back and then I turned the app on again and another job pinged its way through. And I was like, do you know what? That's just a bunch of kids. They don't know me. They don't know why I'm doing this. They make no difference to my life, really. Why am I listening to them? I need to be doing this for my family. family. Well, and I want to so give you a round of applause for, for sticking it out. <laughs> oh, um, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> no, but for real, though. <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, that's... I don't even I've know had, how we got into that, by the way. No, I've had to go through that many times within real estate. You know, that that's how I survived staying in real estate is when I was newer and not making money, I would go drive for Uber or I would work at uh, a pizza place or a security job. You know, I mean, I had many odd jobs here and there. And yeah, sometimes it was embarrassing when I saw clients or um, <laughs> other, other uh, real estate agents come in and they saw me doing another job, you know? But I realized like I have to not be prideful because the way I'm going to stay in real estate is by making sure I can stay in real estate. So even if I'm not, because here's the thing, once I go under contract uh, and there's an accepted offer, it takes around 30 days from that moment to get paid. And so when I have nothing going on, it's 30 days from the next contract. So that could mean a month and a half two months sometimes. And then there's sometimes like, you know, there's sometimes where I might go two or three months without anything, but then in one month I'll have five. And so it's kind of like a feast or famine type thing. And what I've had to do in my business is when, in when I'm in the famine moments, how am I edging this? And so what ended up happening in my own life is I've edged out the famine aspect, because the other thing that caused famine was debt. Because anytime I brought money in, it was immediately gone to debt. And so now that my wife and I have, you know, the only debt we have is our house and medical expenses. But because I've gotten rid of two car payments, because I've gotten rid of uh, a storm shelter, because I've gotten rid of some other debts, now we have a lot more money each month. And because of that, more money goes towards just regular bills. And that doesn't put the pressure on me to like, okay, well, if real estate doesn't do anything this month, I have to go get a part-time job, you know? So it takes that yeah. off. And, and then also just putting money in savings, you know? That, that's the other thing. Uh, I mean, and, and save for a rainy... No, I don't want to say a rainy day because when you, when you do that, then rainy days happen. I just call... Let's call it a flux account, you know? <laughs> And, and sometimes life happens. So like last year, um, 
when everything shut down, you know, we didn't know if schools were going to open up the following school year. And a lot of schools in our area didn't. And so it's like, well, we really feel like it's important that my son goes to school. The only thing we knew what to do was to put him in private school. And so yeah. that was a big sacrifice. <laughs> like, that's not like, oh, we have extra money. You know, this is on top. Like, no, it, it was a sacrifice. It wasn't like, oh, this is just extra. Um, but now... You know, he did so well at it. My wife was like, yeah, we're not taking him out. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> not only does he going to go, but we have two more yeah. boys. So now I have to figure out how to, <laughs> you know, and it's all planning and preparation, you know. And what I realized, like, with his schooling, you know, it's like 515 bucks a month. So what's easier for me in real estate is to pay that in one setting. So I'm going to get a deal and I'm just going to pay his tuition. Just yeah. try to worry about it each month. And so I look at when I get money as big chunks. Okay. So when I get money, I'm going to pay that. So I don't have to worry about it for a whole year. Okay. So nothing major is going on right now. The money that I bring in isn't needed. So we're going to stack that in some investment. or We're going to stack that in silver or we're going to stack that into, you know, just an extra account where, you know, if an emergency pops up or whatever, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And we, um, we had, a or I have a couple of rainy day accounts for when it's raining. And the other thing, the other big benefit of having, you know, got off my backside and tried to do as much as I could last year is that I was able to protect those. And I didn't realize it at the time. But it, it actually meant that because at the beginning, I mean, we, we kind of did a financial review and, and I was like, OK, it's March now by August. That's it. We're running the, the tanks empty. Um, but by doing those multiple jobs and then trying to do as much as I could, even though it was a little bit in my own business, I actually managed to protect all of that. And then by the time we got to a year later and we looked at our cash position, if you want to call it that. Um, like I looked at Carolina and she looked at me and I was like, I don't understand how it's happened, but our cash position's the same. You know, I mean, it's not better, but it's not worse. And that was actually kind of pretty awesome. So then everything that we'd gone through kind of didn't feel quite as bad. All those late nights and, you know, um, all the running around and, um so Evan we've uh, we've probably touched on a few of the six Fs there and I hope that we can meet up again so that we can kind of continue this conversation because I feel like we could just go on forever. Um maybe I'll come on your podcast as well I actually might be able to contribute. I'll think about that. But thank you so much for joining me this week. Um I'll make sure that I have all your links and information in the show notes but tell me where can my listeners find you? Yeah, I mean the the biggest thing is go go check out the podcast, the wholepersonpodcast.com uh is the website or just any social platform uh in terms of podcast, it'll be in in that. Um you can email me evan at evan herman h e r r m a n.com and uh let's see. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it, you know. Find me on social media. Oh, YouTube. You know, Evan Herman on YouTube. I'm. It's not under the podcast name, 
but um, love to grow that as well awesome thank you and i really do hope you'll come back and join me again someday i absolutely will uh, set it up with Ronier, and i'd be more than happy to brilliant i'll get that done evan thank you take care love to the family and uh, we'll, we'll speak soon brother take care we'll talk to you soon I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode and got plenty out of it. It was quite an emotional one in places for both of us, as we relived some pretty tough times from the last 18 months or so. But that's what you sign up for with this podcast. There's no holding back. Thank you once again to Evan for taking time out of his busy schedule to join me, and thank you, as ever, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. That's it for another week. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your family and friends and give us a rating and review. It really helps other people discover us and episodes like this one could be just the thing they need right now. Once more, thank you so much for joining me. I can't wait for you to join me on the next one.